0: I was just looking at the clock, thinking, is it right? Uh, um, so, good morning, and um, good to see you. Um, I've been given an interesting title. I don't choose the titles uh, of these talks, um, and um, so credit to uh, probably Dave. It's um, it's the new Moses, and. Um, I spent some time wondering who the new Moses is actually. And I come to conclusion that it's probably Dave every Christmas when he dresses up, um, if you've ever seen him. But then I I changed my mind and decided it's actually, it's Peter Slee over here. Uh, he, he definitely has the best uh, beard in the house, so um, I'm more consistent. So um, what are we talking about? Well, actually we, We've we've been in um, something of a series reflecting on who is God, who is Jesus in this kind of this period season leading up to Easter, um, and it's it's probably is the most important question for for all of us is who do we really think God is, um, and we all end up with different impressions. Um, I was listening to. Um, a, a talk recently where they were, they actually put this question to the congregation and, um, and asked people to text in the, the one word answer, God is, and then there's the blank. And um, you fill in what immediately springs to mind. And of course, um, it's, it's quite easy to put into that um, a theological answer but that wasn't really what they were looking for. They were looking for who in our gut, or wherever you want to put it, who do we follow? Who do we think we're following? And that is influenced enormously by all kinds of different things, not least our experience and our background. Um, and so they had all sorts of answers. Obviously, one of the answers was love. Uh, we know that, that's uh, pretty well grounded. But, um, but there are other, um equally genuine answers, God is distant um and others there was one that was was really disturbing in a way it said god is two faced somebody who really felt they had been let down and and the question for all of us is, as we are approaching easter who who is this that we' are following and um and How do I imagine God to be? Um, Who is he really in my experience? Because that shapes who and how our Christian life develops. Um, I'm talking to a a, um, member of my family, not in Bristol, I, I sort of have to be a bit careful just to to make sure you don't start trying to spot which one. But uh, I can guarantee you won't spot this particular one because um, she's not, not nearby. Um, but I was talking to her some while ago about her faith or lack of it and, and what had happened. Um, she kind of skirted around church over um, oh, numerous years. Um, but, but what she described was um, her, in a sense, she said, well, I, I do believe in God. But um, uh, I've got a lot of questions for him because he's really let me down. And there'd been tragedy in her life. Um, she'd lost um, her mother early on in, in her experience and, and had felt that her prayers hadn't been answered. And it had completely soured her understanding of who God really is. Um, and, and she went on at you know, quite some length, actually, um, and I found myself, I mean, my reaction to that was, well, if I thought that God was like you think God is, um, I'd, I'd agree with you, I, I would avoid church too, because, because that had been her experience. And somehow or other, I certainly, in that particular conversation and in her encounters, nobody had been able to communicate what the truth really is, and the truth is this, is that the God that we worship, the God that we've been singing about this morning, is revealed in Jesus and in his life. And if we want to know what God is really like, he's come and he has revealed himself to us. And as we approach Easter, we are approaching a time where the power and the love of God is really revealed and it's revealed in the cross. And sometimes, you know, we, we, we do rightly major on the forgiveness of God for the things that we've done, the things that we've got wrong, and so on. And the fact that out of that forgiveness of God comes a new life and a new beginning. But, um, but there's far more to it than that, isn't it? And that's why I think it's so important for us to reflect on who is God to me. Um, and as we approach Easter, what is it that we are centering on, and what are we celebrating, as it were, through the Easter story. And, you know, one of the the key elements of the, the, maybe is the key element of the Easter story, is Jesus' commitment and the the demonstration of his power and love on the cross to, to produce not simply forgiveness, which is the outcome of what he did, but to enact new creation, to create new life. And the love and the power of God revealed on the cross is revealed for the simple reason that he didn't get off the cross. It's very interesting if we read through the the actual passion narratives. How many people at different times tried to persuade him to do just that? You know, if you are the son of God, come down, prove it. You know, Come down and beat the Romans. Come down and show how deluded and distorted the understanding of God is in the Pharisees and so on and so forth, but he didn't. Why not? <laughs> because he was creating, he was demonstrating what a human being could be by not conforming to the hatred and to the bile and to the, the cruelty of this world, but rather by saying, all that is not powerful enough to prevent what I have come to do, to release new life and new creation, and so um, the new Moses. What am I uh, talking about, uh, or what what was this title referring to? What we've been doing is we've been looking at Matthew's gospel, and um, and the angles that 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 Matthew gives, the kind of light that Matthew sheds on the nature of God and who Jesus is. And one of them is simply this: is that Matthew um, draws all sorts of parallels for his readers with Moses. and it's fascinating, and I, I recommend if you'd like homework, and if you haven't sort of thought this one through before, then read through Matthew and, and just look for them. There are all sorts of things. But Matthew, for instance, he picks out that the similarity in the birth stories or at least in the early childhood stories, you know. Um, in, in Egypt, you know, the Pharaoh tries to, to wipe out young males. In Jesus' story, Herod tries to wipe out young males. And Jesus and Moses come out of Egypt as leaders. And, um, and it, the, the first five books of the Old Testament are attributed to Moses, um, the Pentateuch as it's called. And it's interesting how Matthew structures his gospel because he puts into it five major blocks of teaching which which many scholars feel kind of reflects the, uh, the, the, the structure of, uh, of those books or reflects that, um, that character of Moses' teaching. And, and, of course, perhaps most famously, uh, Moses goes up the mountain and collects these um, tablets. So he gets this revelation of how the people of God are to be formed. And, um, and, and Matthew has Jesus going up the mountain and we have the very famous Sermon on the Mount. and, um, and, we, and we, I could go on, but, but there, it's as if Matthew, and particularly for a Jewish audience, which is why his gospel in particular was so popular in the, the early church, it helps to connect the whole history of the Old Testament, of the, the action of God in the people of God, with what understanding what Jesus is doing and why he came, and how what he represented was reflected in um, in the Old Testament. So, he's the new Mo- Moses, and in one sense, um, he went up a new mountain. And I, I can't possibly um, uh, go into great detail about all of this, but I'm. I just thought I'd pick on one aspect of of this uh, parallel, as it were, and it's simply this, that if we were were to look at what, overall, what was Moses doing? He was leading a people um, out of slavery into a new place, into a new life. And what is Jesus doing with us, precisely? He is leading a group of people into a new identity into a new life on a completely new level it, you know where, whereas Moses was taking people into a land Jesus is calling us into a new creation and the challenge for, for us is how do I allow myself and how do I allow that work of God in my life to um, form me if if I follow Jesus in His goodness and truth, how do I allow that to work its way into my experience? Um, I said I'd dip into the Sermon on the Mount as just an example, and um, I just thought I'd pick this one aspect, um, and I found myself asking myself this question: If, if I could um, be less influenced by worry? in my life, or let's substitute worry for stress, or anxiety, or how different would my life be? And you might like to ask yourself that question. Um, if, if you're not a worrier, then praise God, that's, that's fantastic. Um, but if you happen to be uh, worried, and, and let's face it, there are probably all kinds of things that every one of us could list this morning that are particular worries to us. Um, how different would one's life be if those things weren't so powerfully formative in us? And I found myself thinking about this simply because the Sermon on the Mount is, is full of practical um, wisdom, and it is wisdom literature, on how to live. Just one other fact about the, the, in thinking about the Sermon on the Mount. Um, do you know, it, it's often described as the greatest sermon ever delivered. Certainly that's the way Matthew sort of structured it together. It's this fantastic block of teaching. And, and do you know, there, it, there isn't one statement in the whole Sermon on the Mount that's telling you and me what I should believe. It's all about how to live. I say that not because what we believe isn't important, of course it is, but because so often our faith can become so cerebral. It can become about, you see, when Jesus went up on the mountain and when he came down, he didn't come down with, you know, a couple of stone tablets. He went up the mountain with a whole multitude of people. And this is it, it it's that this truth that we're pursuing, this God that we're seeking to understand more deeply, wants life to penetrate into us. So back to worry. <laughs> um, you know, Kind of famously, really, Jesus says, you know, don't worry about what you eat and what you drink and what you will wear. Now, um, if you buy a Sunday paper today just have a quick look as to how many articles there are about what you eat what you drink and what you wear but, um, but kind of behind all of that and I think this is the sort of the deeper message of all of this is how much pressure is there in our culture as to how you look how you perform and what you ought to be and what you're not And um, how many people struggle with a sense of image and identity? And Jesus is saying, I want to release you from that into a place of self-acceptance and a place of peace. Now, when Jesus says this, um, I'll just um, turn to the actual scripture. Um, I think there is a danger because you know, if you are a warrior uh, like me, um, this, this kind of statement could easily add g- guilt to worry. You know, if you've ever tried to stop yourself worrying, have you ever done that? I mean, it, it really doesn't work, doesn't it? Um, but he says, "I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes?" And then he goes on, he talks about the birds of the air and um, the fact that, that God feeds them. And then he says, can any one of you by worrying add a single hour to your life? Um, answering my own question, when I thought about this, I thought, well, you know, if I, if I had been less stressed and less worried about things in my life, I'd probably have more hair. <laughs> um, I'd definitely be healthier because um, that, that's the effect of stress actually, um, cr- creates all kinds of health issues. So what, what Jesus is not saying is that all anxiety and all worry is wrong. What I believe he's getting at is that we need to be free of the worry of this world, the things that this world tell us that we should worry about. Clearly, if God is love and if he invites us into that life of love. We're going to be concerned about all kinds of things, and I'm quite certain we've all got people in our lives that we're worried in that sense about. But he wants to free us from the things that we're told, or pressured, or called, or the things that get so distorted that we end up in fear, anxiety, and worry about things, which basically just eat us up and eat us away. How do we do that? Well, I'm out of time, so (laughs) I could now sit down. (laughs) And, uh, well, you work it out, you know. (laughs) That'd be a good way to finish, wouldn't it? Um, I'm I'm just gonna literally just refer to these, because there's heaps, I think, in this for us, um, as it were, to take away. And it's really, it's just, just look at the context. And that's all I'm gonna do, because the context comes all before Jesus says all this about worry, because he introduces not worrying with the word therefore. So what what comes before do not worry? And he basically says this, number one, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and vermin destroy, where thieves break in and steal. And then he goes on, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. In other words, one of the ways in which I, Neil, can can sort sort out my worry better, is by figuring out what are my priorities, what are the things that I am making the treasure of my life? And Because what he's saying is, that it's the, the things that we ultimately treasure Brackets worship is what shapes us, and and will cause us to get distorted values. And you can apply that to individuals. You can apply that to churches. You can even apply that to countries. What do we as a country value? Why are all these debates going on about we don't want refugees? We don't want people coming over the. What sort of country do we want to be? Where's the treasure? And, and, and the, the message that is, well, get right as to what real treasure is. And Jesus is saying, you'll find that in my life and in my priorities. So sorting out my treasure is, is one thing and I, I, could, um, I could give you lots more illustrations on that. I mean, I'll just mention one. I mean, I've spent the last 12, 15 years as a photographer. I got some quite expensive kit, and sometimes I find myself dreaming that I've lost one, or, <laughs> or that the whole lot's been stolen, and I wake up in a cold sweat, and I think, oh, thank goodness, it was just a dream. But <laughs> I think Jesus think hang on, What's your treasure? Um, a much more serious example, I was invited by some friends of mine some years ago now to when I go with them to pray for some neighbors and it turned out they were a Jewish family. I was very flattered that they let us in. But it was because the wife had developed cancer and um, wanted prayer and prayer from anyone. and Certainly, you know, Christians, sure. And we did, and um, and she'd been given a year to live, and they they enjoyed a year together. But she did die, and I went to the funeral, which was a very very moving experience. But I remember talking to the husband um, about it, and and he said, "Do you know all my priorities changed? I'd, I'd sort of gone to the gym every day. I'd, you know, I'd m- m- um, prioritized my work, everything, but." I realized that that was stupid. I was missing the most important thing, which was the quality in the relationship with my wife and my children. And he changed his whole lifestyle, not just for that year, but thereafter. Where is my treasure? It will release worry, or at least cause those things that I'm most concerned and worried about to, um, to get readdressed. Um, I've had the wink from Steve. It's, it's time to stop. But uh, the, the, the next one and the next one are well worth reading. Um, Jesus talks about the eye as the lamp of the body. That's about attention, actually. He's not talking about physiology. He's talking about you know, what what in this distracting, distracted world am I giving my, my attention to? It will, again, it will release us from the cares and worries of this world. Let's pray. Lord... Um, Moses, we know, was a leader on a journey, but you, we've been singing about you this morning, our Lord, in all circumstances, even in the dark. And we pray today, Lord, that you'll help us on this journey to follow you and to allow you to transform and change us, whether it's through an outer fear or whether it's through our priorities and significant things. We pray today for your grace upon us in Jesus' name. Amen.